if I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Well, we're doing a new sermon series. Um, we're calling it First Things First. We're going through the book of Galatians. And um, the, the goal of all of this is let's make sure we get the, the most important things nailed down. Last week, we went through 1 Corinthians 15. And we looked at the gospel. What is the gospel? And we want to make sure that we get that clearly defined because it's the main thing. It's the most important thing. Here, Paul, in the book of Galatians, is not just defining the gospel, he's clarifying that there isn't another one. There's only one gospel, right? There's only one message of good news. And um, his point here is pretty direct, that turning away from Jesus Christ and the one true gospel is the worst mistake we could ever make, right? This is, this is the good news. This is the thing that we ought to build our lives around. And so we're going to be um, walking through this passage and um, we're going to see three things. We're going to see the good news of the gospel, and it is good news. It is really good news. We're going to see the danger of turning away from that and believing in a lie. And then we're going to see how this truth applies to us today. And I think it really does. I think there's timeless truth here that's going to impact us in some, some really practical ways. So um, first, the good news of the gospel. You know, he starts off by, by reminding them he is an apostle. And that means that he has been sent directly by Jesus himself, right? Jesus appears to Paul, sends him out with this message of good news. And so Paul, as a messenger of the gospel, comes and says to these churches in Galatia, grace to you and peace. He's bringing this message of grace and peace. And it's interesting that he says this is from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And throughout the, throughout the Bible, this is just an interesting aside, throughout the Bible, it's always God who gives grace. It's always God who extends peace. And here you have the Lord Jesus Christ being the one who also brings grace and peace. It's pointing to the fact that this is, this is not just some, some man. This is God, the Son of God, extending grace and peace to them. And he goes on to talk about um, deliverance from this present evil age. Jesus Christ came, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. Now, last week, we talked about the gospel, and we defined the gospel as those five words. Do you guys remember those five words? Anybody? Christ died for our sins. She nailed it. Yes. Christ died for our sins. Yep, and he's with her. Christ died for our sins and rose again, right? Remember that part? So Christ died for our sins and rose again so that we can too, right? And this is good news. This is the good news of the message. And what Paul is saying is that Christ did this to cover our sins, to deliver us from this present evil age. And he's, he's pointing out there, there are dangers in this evil age. He doesn't define it here, but you're going to find out as we go on, there's something that these guys are facing. So Galatia, modern-day Turkey, um, this was a region that, you know, the gospel had come in early. This was probably the first um, letter of the New Testament that Paul wrote. This is the very first one. So he's gone out. He's had this missionary journey. He's, he's encountered these, these towns in probably southern Galatia 
where he has established some churches. And then he continues on and he hears that they're starting to depart. They're starting to believe something contrary to this. And he's concerned. Now, if, you, if you've read other letters of Paul, he follows a pretty normal pattern. You know, he, he tells who he is, who he's writing to. He extends grace and peace from God. And then he says, and I'm so grateful for you. I'm so thankful for you. And he does this repeatedly in his letters, um, but he doesn't do that here. Now, it's possible it's because it's, it's his first letter. He hadn't started doing that yet. But it's weird. It stands out because it's the only one where he doesn't do that. And it's because he's deeply concerned, right? Instead of saying, I'm so thankful for you, he says, I'm astonished at you. <laughs> I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you. And so that brings us to, to actually our second point already, which is this danger. And that's where he spends all of his time. It is heavy. And I'm realizing like we had a little bit of heavy news here at the beginning. And now we're going to have a little bit of a heavy news here in this message. But, but it's, it's God's word for us. And I think it's a great reminder. Um, there is a danger of falling away. Verse 6, I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Um, Paul seems harsh here. It's heavy. And that's because he's concerned because there are these false teachers. We're going to hear a little bit more about them as we go through. But there are these false teachers who are attempting to turn them away from Christ. And it's interesting. He says, not that you're going to turn away from this, this good message that I brought you. He says, no, you're in danger of deserting him who called you. Right? You're in danger of turning away from Christ himself. Um, that, that phrase there, I mean, it's similar to like someone who's a political traitor or a military deserter. Right? It's, it's leaving. It's turning allegiance to the other side. And, and that's his fear, is that they're actually going to turn away from Christ and turn to a different gospel. And he clarifies, it's not, not that there's another set of good news out there, right? There's not really another, another gospel to go to, um, but they're in danger of wandering away from the truth, right? And I think we all know that there is a danger today for many of wandering away to false teaching. There's a fair amount of that around. Um, or drifting away from, from Christ. So we find out a couple things about these um, false teachers. Um, here we hear that they are those who would trouble the Galatians and those who would distort the gospel. And really the rest of the book, the rest of Galatians, is going to kind of spell out how are they distorting the gospel. And so let me just summarize the situation. Um, basically, these false teachers... Um, were coming along. They were insisting, you know, this is Turkey. It's, you know, Galatia, that region. It's a Gentile area. And they're coming along and they're saying, this is great. All these Gentiles are coming to faith in Christ. But there's something you're missing. They need to get circumcised. They need to join the family line of Abraham and be circumcised. And then they're good. So it's basically like, Believing in Jesus, that's really good, but it's not quite enough, right? You need to do something more than trust in Christ. You need to be circumcised. And so that's the message that was being communicated here. It was Jesus plus something. 
And what Paul's going to say is if you have Jesus plus something as your salvation, you're trusting in the wrong thing, right? You shouldn't be trusting in this other stuff. Um, I want to read for you how one author describes the situation. He says, The heretics of Galatia did not deny that Jesus was the Messiah or that he had died and risen from the grave, nor did they claim some new and special revelation. Rather, they based their argument on the Old Testament scriptures. They had many valid theological ideas with which Paul himself was in perfect agreement. The oneness of God, the holiness of the law, God's faithfulness to his people Israel, the importance of the Ten Commandments, and so on. So far as we know, they did not openly deny the deity or or humanity of Jesus Christ. Their error was to add to the finished work of Christ a measure of human achievement as the basis of right standing with God. Yet to do this was to change the nature of the Christian faith so drastically that it could no longer be trusted to be saving faith. That was the issue, right? Their problem was they they were trusting, trusting something beyond just Jesus. They were trusting circumcision or their own achievements, their own accomplishments. And Paul says that's a false gospel. That, that's not a saving gospel, right? And so he's concerned. He wants to clarify and nail down what is it that saves a person. And that doesn't mean that it, it you know, it's just believe and then nothing else. He's going to go on to describe the implications of what it means to turn away from sin and turn to Christ later in the book. But he's concerned that they've gotten things wrong, that instead of saying you believe in Jesus and that means you are saved and it results in good works, he's saying, no, 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 here's what the false teachers are teaching. They're saying you believe in Jesus and you do good works, and then if there's enough of that, then you're saved, right? And he's deeply concerned because that is a false gospel. And so he, he goes on to say, man, some really, um, some of the most extreme language you read in the, in the New Testament He says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And then as if he's like, okay, maybe they think I'm just like exaggerating. He says, no, as we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He doubles down on this statement. Um, and, And he says, you know, whether it's, it's, It's we or an angel from heaven. When he says we, he's probably talking about him and the other apostles. You know, if somebody comes to you with really great authority, even if it's an angel from heaven, he's saying, right? It doesn't matter who they are, what their credentials are. The issue isn't the messenger. The issue is the message, right? If they come to you with a different message, don't buy it. Don't believe it. It's a lie. There is one gospel, um, what's interesting about this is, um, you know, we're 2,000 years out from, from when Paul wrote these words, roughly. And um, it's interesting looking back on history. We know of a few times where an angel came and brought someone a different gospel, right? I think we can, we can mention quite a few, actually. There's quite a few examples of this. Let, let me mention the two most obvious. Islam, with Islam, you had an angel coming to Muhammad, meeting with him, and bringing him the Quran. Um, It was was a message that included Jesus, but it was different, right? Um, Another one, the, the other obvious example is Mormonism. You know, Joseph Smith met with an angel 
and, and probably really met with an angel. I, I don't think he was probably lying about that. He probably actually encountered an angel and brought a different message about Jesus. And so in, in both cases, you know, they, they believe in Jesus Christ. Um, both of these religions have really nice things to say about Jesus. But it's a different Jesus than we believe. It's a different gospel, right? It's a, it's a different message entirely. And so really we ought not to be surprised by these things, right? It says it's, this is going to happen here in Galatians. And let me read a couple other passages. So 1 Timothy 4.1. Again, this is Paul speaking. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So fallen angels bringing messages that are deceiving people. And so that is the world that we live in, right? So we're 2,000 years out, and this, this world exists, right? And it's not that these people who are are teaching these false things, right? It's not that they are the ultimate enemy. The ultimate enemy is Satan who is attempting to deceive, right? But he has led people astray. And so he's telling them, this is going to happen. That's what he says there. Um, Let me read another passage in 2 Corinthians 11. Um, He's talking about some of these false teachers. He says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. So Satan's main goal, right? I mean, this this is not news to us. Satan's main goal is to lead us away from following God. And there's you know, a number of ways he can do this. And oftentimes we think of it in terms of he's going to lead us into sin, some terrible sin, you know, you're going to become a a drug dealer or something. I don't know, whatever. You're going to be, you know, you're going to go down this dark path of sin that's going to lead you away from following God. And that's one course of action he can take. But I think just as often, maybe more so, he goes the opposite direction. He says, I'm going to make you a good person. I'm going to make you a religious person but you're going to be trusting in yourself and not in God, right? So instead of being this, you know, going down this dark path of sin, he says, no, let's, let's be really religious. Let's pursue false religion um, as, as an end in itself. Um, and people do that thinking that they're following God when they're not. And that's Paul's whole point here. And what he says about these false teachers is, is pretty extreme. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. This is, this is probably the heaviest language he could, he could use in this situation. The stakes are enormously high. Uh, the Good News Bible translation translates this as, let him be condemned to hell. And I think that's a good translation. It's, it's kind of um, ironic that it's in the Good News Bible. Um, but that's how they translate this, and I think it's, it's right. Let him be condemned to hell. The word is anathema, right? Maybe you've heard that word before. Um, it, it's a Greek word. It's rooted in the Old Testament idea of something being devoted to destruction. And so um, there, there are multiple examples of this. If you remember um, when they, you know, they came in to the promised land, 
and they were told, you know, go into this particular city and wipe it out and destroy everything. And then Achan is one of the guys with the, the, on the Jewish side, and he goes in and he takes some of the plunder for himself. Right? He steals some of the gold, hides it in his tent. Nobody's looking. Um, and as a result, God's judgment comes on Achan and his family because those things had been devoted to destruction. Um, Exodus 22, 20 says, Whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. Um, Paul uses this same word over in, in Romans, and what he says there is really interesting. He is so deeply concerned for his fellow Israelites who have turned away from Christ, who have not trusted in Christ. And he says in Romans Chapter 9, verse 3, I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. He's saying, I, I wish I could, like they could take my place. If, if somehow I could be accursed and let all of them in, I would do it because I love them. I care about them. And he uses as a synonym for being accursed, being cut off from Christ. That's what it means this, this word anathema, that's what it means. It's being cut off from Christ. So think about the implications of this. Think about how heavy that is. Um, I, th- I think oftentimes we gloss over stuff, and we don't take the time to really reflect on, on what this is saying. Um, one of the things that happens in this community on a, on a semi-regular basis is you have a couple of young men who come walking down the street and they knock on your door and they, they want to tell you some religious message. And it's a message contrary to the gospel that Paul preached. And um, oftentimes we, we think, you know, well, I just don't want to hear it today, you know, whatever. Um, I, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to get into a debate with someone are we aware of the reality that the message um, that they're proclaiming is leading them and those who follow them to hell, to eternal damnation? I think it's really important that we understand the stakes here, right? Um, it, it can, it, you know, we live, in, <laughs> we live in a really nice community. It's really comfortable, a lot of great amenities, you know. Um, life is relatively easy. You know, we have, we have first world problems, you know, like my ice maker's not working, you know, things like that. Th- those are our problems. And we get comfortable and we forget the, the real ramifications of what's going on at a spiritual level. That there are people around us who are heading into an eternity without Christ. And they need to hear the good news of the gospel. And that's a message that we've been given to proclaim. And we have this amazing privilege of knowing the gospel. That's why Paul's so concerned here. You know, he's using this really heavy language. Paul, man, you seem really worked up. Why? Well, it's, it's because not only have these false teachers come in, but they're actually gaining influence. They're actually drift, pulling people away from, pulling people to drift away from Christ. And he is deeply concerned and and. These folks are in grave danger if they turn away from Christ. And he knows this is not a popular message. That's why he goes on in verse 10, and he says, Am I now seeking the approval of man 
or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. He's not trying to win any awards here. You know, he's, he knows he's not going to get reelected on this message. You know, this is, this is not a popularity contest for Paul. Um, he makes these offensive statements, really. They're offensive. Um, he doubles down on it uh, because he is a servant of Christ with an obligation to serve the one who sent him. Um, doesn't mean that the goal, right, like this, Paul's goal is not to offend people. Like, if only he could be as offensive as possible, right? <laughs> like other places, Paul explains he's trying to win people to the faith. But what he's not trying to do is win people to, like, the Paul fan club. He, he's trying to win people to faith in Christ. And if that makes him unpopular, he's willing to accept that. Because, and this is so beautiful, he views himself as a servant of Christ. His whole goal is to please one man, right? And that is Jesus Christ. He is trying to serve the Lord. And that's incredibly freeing. If you've ever tried to live to to be a people pleaser, to, to win popularity, super frustrating, right? And what many of us do, I think, is we recognize, okay, you can't please all the people all the time. Okay, we'll just, we'll settle for some of the people. (laughs) I'm just going to be a people pleaser for this group, right? Paul says, no, I am here to serve Christ. I am not here to serve people. I am here to serve Christ. And that's incredibly freeing for him to be able to do that. So, Paul's bringing this message. He he knows it's controversial or or at least offensive to say these things. And yet he's willing to do this because this is the gospel. And there is no other gospel. That's his his premise. That's where all this comes from. There's only one gospel. And there are people that are trying to distort it. So what does this have to do with us today? This was 2,000 years ago. That's nice for southern Galatia. What does it matter for us today? I want to point out three things. The first thing is that even in a pluralistic age, there is only one gospel. Um, This is probably the most controversial aspect of the Christian faith today. Uh, There is only one gospel. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Okay, there is, there's only one way, right? It's available to everybody, so it's not like, you know, this is exclusive, it's a private little club, only, you know, this group gets in. No, it's available to everybody through one way, and that is through Christ, through faith in Him. Um, Acts 4.12, you know, there's salvation in no other name. There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Uh, There's this idea, and you guys are aware of this, that all paths lead to heaven. You know, it's, it's many paths up, up the same mountain. We all get to the top. That's not the Christian message. And it, it's not fair to the reality of the, the various religions of the world anyway, right? How can you believe in the 300 million gods of Hindu and also say there's only one God, right? Um, you, you have to dumb the message down so far that you, you know, basically get to be a good person, before you can try to unify all these religions. The, the reality is, there's one gospel, right? And, and even if that's offensive, 
right? It is the good news. We have been given good news. We have been given the cure to cancer. And to come along and tell someone, take aspirin instead, it's good enough, that's terrible, right? We have been given the cure. And so there is a way to be reconciled to God, and we need to be bold in presenting that. Um, The second thing, even in a social media age, the gospel is not a popularity contest. Um, I think it's, man, it's easy for me to fall into this. I like people to like me. (laughs) It's much more pleasant. Um, Let let me read a few things that Jesus said. Um, Luke 6.26. Jesus says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. That is a powerful statement. Isn't that a powerful statement? Um, If you're trying to win a popularity contest, you're probably in bad company. That's what this is saying. Um, our goal isn't to be, to be liked by everybody. The goal isn't to be nice, right? That's not the goal. Um, the goal isn't to be the opposite, be a mean jerk. That's not the goal either. The goal is to represent Christ well, and that means speaking the truth. Um, a second one, John five forty four. Jesus speaking to the, the Pharisees here. He says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Um, John 12, 42 and 43. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they didn't confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Man, that's a dangerous thing. Do you see what he's saying? Um, over and over, the, the message here is if you're... Trying to get everybody to like you, it's a really dangerous thing. It, it takes you down a bad path. Um, 1 Thessalonians 2.4, Paul says, Just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. May that be our way, right? May that be the way that we live, that our goal is to please the Lord. And if that means, you know, sometimes we have a message that, that's tough to hear, um, that's okay right? That's okay. And then the last thing here, even in a godless age, the gospel still offers hope. Still offers hope. Remember what he says here, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God is extending grace. He's extending peace to anybody who's willing to accept it. It's good news, right? This is not an exclusion from good news. It's an introduction to this good news, right? And he's so concerned because somebody might be led away from the good news of the gospel. We have hope in Christ, right? Um, What does this mean for us in terms of practical application? I think I'm going to mention three more things. So the first one is we need to know the truth of the gospel. We need to actually know the details of the truth of the gospel. It's it's really easy to to want to dumb it down to lowest common denominator. Paul is concerned because they want to get the equation wrong. And there's some details here because Jesus plus something else means they're not just trusting Jesus. And so he's going to focus in on these details. And I think we at times want to be so inclusive that we, we... 
ignore some of the details. We need to know the gospel and be confident in it. Uh, we need to believe the gospel. Um, these folks in Galatia knew the gospel. They'd heard it from Paul, um, but they, they had drifted from this truth. One of the great benefits of why do we get together on Sunday morning is to remind ourselves of these things, right? So that we make sure that we continue to believe the truth of the gospel. And then the third one is that we need to defend the truth of the gospel. We need to be willing to um, speak the truth in love. And recognizing that person in front of you who, is, who decided that they want to debate something with you, they're not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. And yet, they are in danger, right? If, if they don't know the truth of the gospel, we need to speak the truth in love um, and don't encourage them to continue teaching a false message, spreading a false message. Um, it's a heavy truth. Paul is going to go on here in the book of Galatians, and he's going to, from this point, then move into a reminder of what is the good news of the message. And he's going to clarify it again for us, and then he's going to show us the implications of what this looks like lived out in our lives. And it's a beautiful thing, but he begins with this warning. And we need to heed this warning that there is a danger out there. And the reality is many of us have friends or family members, neighbors, who have bought into a lie. And we need to have the, the willingness to speak the truth to them, to love them enough to bring them back to the truth. Amen? Um, I'm going to invite Dan to come up here. We're going to take communion together. And um, one of the reasons we are doing communion on a regular basis is uh, it is a, a powerful reminder for us of what Christ has done for us. You know, we... we get together and we eat the bread, we drink the wine, these external things we partake. And in doing that, we're recognizing we need something to give us life. We need food. We need the basic essentials to give us life. And so in, in doing this, we're, we're getting a, a powerful reminder again and again of what it means for the gospel to be essential to us absolutely essential. So um, as Dan plays, um, I'd like for us to just pause for a moment and and pray together. Um, Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the good news of the gospel, for the the hope that we find in Christ, for the incredible grace and peace that you, Lord, have extended to us. And Lord, we know that apart from you and, and your Spirit's work in us, Lord, we would be sinful. Lord, we would be um, a a sinful people totally in rebellion against you, Lord, with no hope, Lord, with no opportunity to be reconciled to you. And yet, God, through the finished work of Christ, Lord, you've given us the, the opportunity to turn from our sins and turn to you and experience new life. Thank you, Lord, for these things. Lord, may we be your people, your hands and feet in this place, carrying forth the message of the gospel to a world around us that desperately needs to know this good news. Lord, as we, um, as we move to communion now, Lord, may we be mindful, may we remember what Christ has done on our behalf. Lord, we pray these things in Christ's name.
communion is for those who have um, placed their faith in Jesus Christ, um, who, have de- who have made a public profession through baptism. And we would just invite you guys to come forward. Um, come forward. There's um, bread and gluten-free um, here. Um, go ahead and take the elements and then take them back to your seat, and we'll take these together um, after everyone's seated. Thanks. Thanks.